So we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians 4 today. Uh, the last two weeks, we, three weeks, we've been in uh, the first three chapters working through them. Uh, 1 Thessalonians uh, 1, 2, and 3. And one of the things that we have noticed is Paul wrote this letter to the church in Thessalonica to encourage them. Chapters 1 through 3 was really a, a letter to them to encourage them, to cheer them on in the faith, uh, to really even to give them some credibility against some of the critics that were coming at them. And now in chapter 4 and 5, we're going to see Paul really looking forward with the church, helping them to, to look down the road because it's a young church, remember? Uh, he was only there a few weeks, got ran out of town, riots began, and so they were young in the faith. They were young organizationally. They had no organization. It was just a group of people together trying to love Jesus the best that they could. And then next week we will wrap up with chapter 5, and then we'll have one more Sunday, uh, which I decided kind of this week, we have one more Sunday before Refresh and Reset, before Roland and Tammy are with us, and we're going to work through second. We can't do First Thessalonians without doing Second Thessalonians. So we're going to do Second Thessalonians in two weeks and talk about the end times. And uh, what should we expect? Are we in the ballpark? And, and what does the Bible have to say about that? So we'll look back to First Thessalonians because there's a lot in there about Jesus returning. And Second Thessalonians, it's two pages. So you're, it's not like this huge letter that we're going to work through. And the thing I would encourage you is it would take you, even slow readers, probably 10 minutes to read it, go read uh, Second Thessalonians, and uh, for those of you who get distracted a lot, like me, you can still do it in 10 minutes, all right? So I encourage you to read chapter 5 and Second Thessalonians. So let me recap just for a second before we jump in. Last week, chapter 3, uh, Paul was writing this letter back to the church, and he longed to go back and be with them. He loved this church, and he wanted to go back and be with them. Uh, but it says in chapter 3 that Satan blocked him from doing so. So who did he send? You remember? Anybody remember? Timothy. He sent Timothy in. Little Timothy. He's like, you're the man. You're going to head back to Thessalonica. I know I about died there, but you can go in and hopefully get out alive. And here's what I want you to do when you go. I want you to go into Thessalonica, and I want you to strengthen and encourage the church in their faith. Remember, to strengthen was to, to, to set firm, to establish them firm in the faith. I don't need you to go in and teach anything fancy and new, Timothy. Go in and, 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 and set firm what I've already taught, and then do so by walking beside them. And Timothy did that. And remember, we wrapped up chapter 3 uh, by saying, and this is really general, that Paul did a couple things for this church. One was he wrote them a letter, right? We know that because we have it. And two... Uh, at the end of chapter 3, he said that he, he was praying for them earnestly. And he also started the letter that way as well, by the way. He started it by saying, we're praying for you. And then we gave you homework. So here's the teacher coming back to his students and saying, did you do your homework? Do you even remember what the homework was? If you, if you don't, then you didn't do the homework. But here it is. I ask you to, to find three people and to do exactly what Paul did. To write a card, to write a note, to write a letter encouraging them letting them know that you're praying for them. And then after you write that, actually do it. Actually pray for them. And we won't do a raise of hands of how many of you did that, or maybe it ran across your mind to do that. That doesn't count. But we'll give you one more week, an extension, uh, if you will, to carry out your homework task and follow through with what Paul, with what Paul uh, did. So this church was young, and Paul wanted them to have some, some handlebars, maybe even some training wheels on the bike, as they are beginning to journey out uh, as a young Christian church, uh, this journey of faith. And he's going to get pretty specific on some ways to follow Jesus. So let's jump in and read it in 1 Thessalonians 4, 1, and 2. It says, As for other matters, 
brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God. Uh, As in fact you are living, you're doing it. Great job, he's saying. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. Don't stop. Keep doing this. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. One of the things that's right off the bat here in in verses 1 and 2 is that if we are Christ followers and we're journeying in this life with Jesus, then it should be one of our greatest desires, one of our greatest missions to want to please God with our lives. Paul, Paul, Paul knew this. He knew that obedience pleases God. That when we read God's Word and we hear God's Word and then we're obedient unto God's Word, it pleases God. But the other side of that is if we hear God's Word and we just kind of go on our own trail, on our own journey, uh, we're definitely disobeying God. And we're not living lives that are pleasing, that are pleasing Him. So in verse 1, what does he say that he did to, for them? He said that we instructed we instructed you. And then in verse uh, 2, he talks about instructions. So he says, verse 1, we instructed you how to live in order to please God. And then it says, for you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. So the first one with instructed, what Paul is saying here, if you go back to some of the original uh, language, is we desire, we desire you as a church would live your lives in such a way To please God. That's what he's saying in verse 1. Church, we desire, we long that you, you young church, Thessalonica, that you would live your lives in such a way to please God. Also, he he said, we hope it's your desire. We hope it's your desire to please God in every area of your life. Uh, We know what it's like to to desire things, right? Anybody ever just desired like a Coke? you got to have one. Desired pizza? Desired sweets, you know, get us out of here for lunch, right? We know what it's like to desire something. And Paul's saying, man, I, w- I want your greatest desire. I want your greatest desire to be to live a life pleasing unto God. And then he says, for you know what instructions, there's that word, we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. Instructions here means commands. So what's Paul saying in this spot? He's saying, church, uh, you serve a God in heaven. He's instructing you. He has given you some commands. His greatest desi- desire for you is that you would live a life to please Him. And He didn't just create you and said, good luck, go figure it out on this earth that I created for you, how to please me. No, He gave us instructions on how to do so, right? He gave us commands on how, on how to do so. And the same is true for us, that He wants us his greatest desire, desire for us, our Father in heaven, is that we would please Him and that we would live in such a way to be obedient unto His, unto his Word. And Paul says, this is God's will for you as a church. That's a pretty big message that he gave them just in a couple of verses. But the thing that I found out when you read about pleasing God, most of us, including me, we spend most of our time and effort and resources and energy uh, rather than pleasing God, pleasing people. And we just try to make everybody around us happy and everybody around us like us. And, and just ask yourself if these thoughts have ever gone through your head as you're walking throughout your day. Hey, I wonder what they're thinking about me. I wonder if they like me. I wonder if I, uh, if I, how my body language looks to them right now. I wonder if they'll ever talk to me again. Man, I'm talking so weird. Why would they ever even want to talk to me again? And just things that go on and on. And I hope they like me. Do they like me today? 
and, and thoughts that we may have if we journey through this life and we can give all of our energy, all of our time, all of our resources and effort to trying to get people to like us and please them rather than please God. Here's the crazy thing, the crazy thing about that. We serve a God that created the universe. He spoke things into existence, right? The heavens and the earth. He created you and he created, he created me. It says in the Bible that he, as we talked with mommy about, he knit you together in your mother's womb. He knew you at that point. He knows the numbers of, of hairs on your head, right? Or lack of hair on your, I won't eye contact with anybody, but lack of hair. He knows that as well, right? And yet, and yet we will journey through this life, as crazy as it is, and instead of pleasing God, we would rather choose uh, to please people. And Paul knew for this church, it's foundational that they get this right. And I'm guessing the church in First Thessalonica, I don't know, uh, that they struggled in this area. They struggled journeying through life trying to please uh, people instead of God. And he knew this was foundational teaching for them to understand and for them to get. So they knew that their identity was in Christ and it was in Christ alone. And he also knew this, that a heart that's not yielded to God is for sure a heart that's making probably not much effort to please God, right? And you could do vice versa on that. A heart not yielded to God, if we're not yielded to Him, we're not trusting in Him, we're not choosing His path over our path, there's a pretty good chance that we're doing nothing to try to please God. So how do we make a shift? Uh, how do we shift from walking through life trying to please people to, to really making it our heart's desire to please God? Well, I'm glad you asked because Paul talks about that in the rest of this particular chapter in verse 3. Verse 3, he moves on and he, he says if there's one area, and it goes exactly with the teaching that they're using at the Miami Valley Women's Center, if there's one area uh, that, that we can live a life that pleases God, it's in the area of purity. In the area of purity. What would purity mean? Well, it would be to, to live blameless, uh, to live without fault, uh, to live a pure life before a holy, before a holy God. And while this is the call on my life and it's the call on everybody's life in this room, uh, it's often something that we could all agree we all fall short on. Uh, at times, um, we, don't, we don't hit the mark. And we live lives that are full of pride, selfishness. Uh, we can have impure motives. We can have character flaws. We can just kind of look out for me, myself, and I. And we miss the mark so often because we are broken, sinful people. So why would Paul call this church in Thessalonica this huge call that they're never going to be able to attain? Just so they can keep climbing the hill, you know, and, and wear themselves out? No, because he wanted them to pursue holiness. He wanted them to pursue uh, this, this, this movement of sanctification in their life where we become more like Jesus and we're all on this journey. Paul also knew this, that purity is not defined by who you used to be, but who you will be. What is, what is that? What's Paul mean uh, by, by some of that language? That for purity in Paul's world, remember Paul's life before he came to Christ? Uh, he wasn't even on the map. Like if, if there's purity and without fault, he was not even close to being on the map with the lifestyle that he, that he was living. And what Paul's letting this church know, and I think it's a great reminder for us today, is that when we're in Christ, when we make a decision to follow him and, and chase after him, that our Father in heaven doesn't see us that way. He doesn't, he doesn't hold us to, to our guilt, to our shame, and, and view us through all of our sin and our junk. Thank the Lord, right? 
That'd be a mess if he really viewed us, but he, he sees us as someone that's holy, someone that's set apart when we're in Christ, someone that's made new in Christ. When our lives are changed by him, that our past does not have to dictate our future. It does not have to label our future. That's why I never get tired of changed life stories. Because when a life is changed, uh, somebody is no longer defined. And so we have a hard time getting over that because our past, sometimes it can be colorful. And we can think, man, why would God ever love me knowing I did all of that? And yet we serve a God that says, I want, I want you. And I want to wash you clean. So he gets specific in this area in, in verse 3. He says, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. I want you to be set apart. I want you to be holy. That you should avoid sexual immorality, Paul says. He says we should be sanctified. What's that mean? Sanctification. It's this journey of becoming more and more like Jesus. That every single day we wake up from our slumber in the morning, we have an opportunity to walk out the door and pursue the way of Jesus, to grow in the way of Jesus, and to become more and more and become more and more like Jesus. It's a process where he takes away the old patterns, the old ways of living, and he, he brings them up to his standard and to his will. And one of the ways this, that this sanctification process can be enhanced in our lives is beginning to pick up God's word and read it. Because when you read it, you start to learn about the character of God. You start to learn about how God wants us to live our lives. And then you start doing that. You look back after a while and see, well, I'm becoming more and more like Jesus. I haven't arrived. I'm on a journey. But I'm becoming more and more like Jesus. Here's one of the problems with sanctification in the local church today in 2020. Uh, is it doesn't happen overnight. It's a process. And we like a lot of things to happen yesterday, don't we? We like a lot of things to happen overnight. But this journey, uh, as you become more and more like Jesus, grow in God's word, in understanding, and begin to live it out, and you're yielded to him, you'll see a lot of things start to change in your life. You'll see attitudes uh, that were once not really good begin to not be a part of your life anymore. You'll see temptations that were once temptations and strongholds possibly. Uh, begin to fade, and you're not even tempted by that stuff anymore. You, your, your, your desire will be to chase after the things of God and not the things that just fill this world, right? But here's the thing. In order to jump on the journey to be sanctified, you must be saved. You must be made new in Christ. And Paul wanted this church to understand it, and the message rings true today that the message is available, the free gift is available for you as well. And Paul says, this is, God's, this is God's will. Earlier in verse 1, he says, I'm not making this up. This isn't some new philosophy I thought about. This is all coming to you from the authority of Jesus Christ. I think it says in verse 1 or, or verse 2. So it's living a life of purity. He kind of uh, un, unpacks it a little bit. and He says, it's God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. Why? Because sexual sin is a sin against the body. That's what the Bible talks about. So control your body in such a way that's holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter, listen to this, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. And then there's a warning. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we told you, and warned you before. And then Paul, it's classic Paul, he, he summarizes it here at the end of verse 7. He says, For God did not call us to be impure, 
but to live a holy life. What's the opposite of impure, right? It's purity, right? And it doesn't take very long uh, to realize where impure things go, whether it's sexual stuff that he's talking about specifically, or any impurity in our life, where that leads. And the Bible paints a really clear picture where that leads. It leads to death and it leads to destruction. And Paul did not want this church to experience that at any level. Uh, Many of you, probably all of us in here to some level, know what impurity looks like in our own lives, right? And then to feel the guilt and the shame that comes with impurity. uh, Nobody likes that. But as you step into that and you're you're standing in it, uh, in that moment you realize this is not for me. This is not who God intended me to be. This is, what not, this is not at all what God intended me to walk in and be a part of. It's really clear, really quick. And Paul says, man, don't go down the path of sexual immorality. And if there's one area today that, that, that is just, I think, unraveling people's lives, that's paralyzing people spiritually, relationally, emotionally, uh, it's pornography. And I want to share a few stats with you because it's not a taboo, it's not a subject that should not be talked about in the church. Paul brought it up, so I'm going to expand on it, all right? And some stats that he shared, I, I, was on, I hadn't looked at stats in a really long time. I was blown away by these stats. 30,000 people are engaged with porn at any given second, right now, any given second. Uh, 40 million people in the United States, 40 million people in the United States are sexually involved with the internet. You go do a census of how many people are in our country, it's about one out of every eight are sexually involved with the internet. One out of every four internet searches is porn. Uh, The MLB, Major League Baseball, and the NFL revenue combined pales in comparison to the porn industry every single year. Here's the the thing that's staggering about all this, is that God created, Genesis tells us, male and female, right? It says in the beginning of Genesis, he created each one of us in his image. God created intimacy. God created sex. God created that. And he created it to be in the context of marriage, a marriage covenant, and a marriage commitment. And what happens is it's been twisted, perverted, taken off the rails, and it is at a place now where people are addicted and, and, and they're, they're settling for uh, pseudo-intimacy, if you will, And it's leading them to some dark, dark places. And where does it lead? Makes you feel trapped. Makes you feel isolated. Makes you feel ashamed. Makes you feel guilty. It makes you feel like there's a sin so big out in front of me. There's no way I could ever figure this out on my own. And there's good news and bad news. The bad news is you're right. You can't. The good news is we serve a God that can. And in 2 Corinthians, there's a really good passage that I praise God for, uh, for each of us. And it says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, There is freedom. There is freedom. I heard it said this way a long time ago. How many of you go get a cup of water right out of the toilet, and that's where you take a drink? Anybody? Probably not. I hope not. Every single time people hop on pornography, it's like taking a drink from the toilet. And it does so much harm to the body. Instead of taking a drink from the living water, the living water. That's why I'm so thankful, Michael, you're talking about it with teenagers at the Miami Valley Women's Center and in schools because it's a big deal. And it's ruining, it's ruining a lot, a lot of lives. Here's the good news. We serve a God, no matter how dark it gets, no matter how ugly it gets, that will meet you in your brokenness. 
And you may think that, oh man, I am too far gone for God to do anything in my, in my life. And I want to remind you today, whether it's sexual immorality or any area, you're never too far gone. You serve a God that I think is shouting from the mountaintops today that if you're willing, he's ready. And if there's anyone in here today that wants help and they can contact the office, we would love to do that. Because we serve a God that wants you to experience freedom. And one of the ways that we can please our God in heaven is by living a life, living a life of purity. He goes on and shares another area. He's got a few areas of how we can please God. And the second one was we can please God, it says in verse uh, 9, by the way we love one another. And again, he commends this church for saying, you guys, you're, you're doing it. You're knocking out of the park. You're loving each other so, so well. And the Bible makes it very clear that, that we were all created in his image, that we are all fearfully and wonderfully made. And listen to what Paul says in verse 9. He says, now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. I probably don't need to write this to you because you're already doing it, but I'm going to write it anyhow so it's a reminder how good you are doing. Keep on doing it, he says. For that, indeed, is what you are doing to all the brothers, listen to this, throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. Sometimes when you read Scripture 100 miles an hour, you'll miss this, you'll miss this one in 9 and 10. Where did he commend them? Uh, for the, the area, commend them for loving each other well, and it was spreading like wildfire. Was it Thessalonica, the town they were living in, the town where this letter showed up and they received it? No. He, he didn't even say Thessalonica. He's commending them because you all are loving and respecting each other so well, because, and, and it's, it's spreading out all throughout Macedonia. You can put the map up on the screen. It's like saying, Centerville Community Church, you are loving and respecting each other so well. The whole Miami Valley is hearing about it. The whole tri-state is hearing about it. What a compliment from Paul to this church. Paul would travel around all those little towns around uh, Macedonia. And as he would show up there, he would get little snippets and hear about, you hear about this church in Thessalonica. They are loving each other well. They are respecting each other well. There is something going on there. And now this church that probably never thought, I mean, they were scared for their lives when the church first started, never thought they would have influence with anybody in these other towns, they probably look different, maybe talk different, live different. Now they have influence because they were living and respecting each other with incredible, with incredible love. I think the same can be said of us. That if we as Centerville Community Church can just start removing all these artificial, ridiculous walls that our culture's created, where we, you know, are just against each other, right? That we will be able to start influencing people that we never that we never thought possible. Paul says, if you want to please God, man, be a church that loves one another. Be a church that loves one another well and loves your community well. He goes a little bit more in depth here, and he says, and make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands just as we told you. What's he saying here? He's saying, let your actions, let your behavior speak for itself. You don't need to give everybody lip service. Uh, this was a community, I didn't mention it the last couple weeks and could have. Paul talks about work a lot in 1 Thessalonians. And one of the reasons is because some people in the church started living this life, they call it a life of idleness, uh, to where they thought, I'm in Christ now. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to work. And I, everybody's going to take care of me and, and help me out. And Paul says, no, 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 no. As Christ followers, we should be on the, 
the front end. We should be the ones leading the way when it comes to showing how to work hard. He says, so that your daily life will win the respect of outsiders. Well, one of the ways we do that is live a quiet life. We don't have to have a, a comment on everything. We don't need to be a critic. Just do our job and love people. And he says, the respect of outsiders so that you will not be dependent upon anybody. That's what Paul says. And then he wraps up this chapter by talking. It goes like in a different direction. Same theme of how we can please God. But he talks about something this church people were struggling with. And uh, he says, if you want to please God, one of the ways you will do it is by living your life filled with hope. Live your life filled, filled with hope. This church was struggling with those that have gone before them. Um, and they just they couldn't wrap their head around at all. Uh, and one of the areas was the area of death. And death is, um, has a way of, of making us be hopeless at some level. Sometimes it's, it's, uh, it's quick. It's unexpected at, at times. And uh, our heart is never ready for it. I mean, nobody's ever ready, even when you can prepare uh, for the finality, for the finality of death. So Paul, knowing this church was struggling with this, speaks to it. And uh, he's saying, man, one of the ways you can please God, you can be a light to the world, is dealing with your mourning um, with hope. And he says, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Paul says as Christ followers, there's a different way for us to grieve. Uh, We're not hopeless. We are filled with hope. Uh, Why are we filled with hope? Because of who? Because of Jesus. What did Jesus do for us that makes us be filled with hope? Well, he says it here in the next passage. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep. That is why we have hope, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is why we can grieve with hope. That is why we mourn with hope. That is why when one of our loved ones goes to be with Jesus, there can even be a a sense of joy knowing that they are with God, and one day we're going to be with, with them. Who's our hope in? It's in Jesus. He's the only one. He's the only one that's ever figured out how to conquer death. That's who our hope, that's who our hope is in. And when it seems like everything around us is just in completely in shambles, we can still have hope. Why? Because we have hope in the one that is in control of everything. You ever had that? Where it just seems like, man, today's a day. I'm in a season where everything seems so out of control. Um, and not in an arrogant way, your response, but in a confident, trusting way, you can say, and it's okay. Because I trust in the one that is fully in control. I'm not going to read 15 through 18 because in two weeks, or 15 through 17 because in two weeks I'm going to touch on it with Jesus uh, returning. He's coming back for his church, for you and I. But I want to close with what he closes with at the end of this chapter. And he says, therefore, encourage one another with these, with these words. I didn't just write this to you to read it and throw it in the bookshelf, but encourage one another with these words. If you want to please God, live a life of purity. If you want to please God, love one another well. You want to please God, live with hope. Share this with people. Uh, Why is it so important to share this encouraging word? Because when you share these encouraging words, it gives other people hope, right? And that's what Paul is cheering this church on to do. So I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Some of you might. I don't. I don't know what's going to happen next week. I certainly don't know what's going to happen in a year. But no matter what happens, uh, our hope is in the unchanging one. 
Our hope is in Jesus Christ. We can be a part of the body of Christ. I know that. And it will encourage us. And I also know this, that we have an opportunity every single day, every single conversation, every single interaction uh, to choose to please God. I want you to close your eyes for a second and just want to ask you this question once again. Are you living a life of purity? Ask God to search you. If there is, that God, you would help me live a life of purity. Are you pleasing God by loving the people around you? Even the ones that get under your skin the most. God, forgive us when we do, when we blow it. God, help us to love one another better. Are you living with hope? Are you just so locked into today and this afternoon and what's next and tomorrow and the work week and this is coming next weekend and we're just so concerned with everything on this earth that we forget to live with the hope of heaven, with an eternal perspective. There's something freeing about living with an eternal perspective and casting all of our cares upon the one that already knows about them anyhow and just trusting him with the results. God, we love you today, and we pray that we would live lives as a church, collectively and as individuals and as families that make up this church, that we would live lives that are pleasing unto you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.